Welcome to Candid Conversations about Home Health, a podcast jointly produced by NAC, the National Association for Home Care and Hospice, and HHFMA, the Home Care and Hospice Financial Managers Association. This podcast series is moderated by Cindy Kraft and Karen Vance. Episode one, podcast expectations and impact of 2020 with Cindy and Karen. Hello, my name is Cindy Kraft and joined today by Karen Vance. We are very excited to kick off a series of conversations. Um, Our vision was that there's a lot of educational opportunities out there, but many of them are content rich and take time to participate in. And many of us don't have a lot of that um, to spare at this point. So we wanted to kind of pare this down into some thought provoking, maybe challenging uh, little bits of information, um, include some guests along the way, um, but to really provide you with some what we hope to be both interesting and informative uh, pieces of information, especially during these challenging times. Um, And we know that folks are kind of suffering from a degree of educational burnout among all the other types of burnouts going on right now. Um, So we're looking to alleviate that issue as well, because we know that going into 2020, we really thought on the home care side, this was going to be the biggest deal was going to be PBGM, that we were going to go to a new payment methodology. There was a lot of training leading up to that. Um, A lot of questioning, especially to those of us that are on the rehabilitation side, um, how are we going to be impacted on a utilization standpoint? And then in hindsight, um, the things that really happened after that early in 2020 made PDGM look like it really wasn't that big a deal because it got way overshadowed um, by the pandemic, Uh, the initial phases, the current phases, and the phases yet to come. Um, So we wanted to kind of use today's session to give you not only an overview, but to touch on a couple of those things specific to our current challenges that provoked Karen and I um, to put our heads together and say, how can we not just inform, but potentially inspire our colleagues out there in the front line, seeing patients in the home setting, um, and remind ourselves of why we do what we do. So the first thing, Karen, I want to ask you about has to do with this issue of the term essential service. Um, As things really started to become more and more challenging earlier this year, we saw some of this, you know, here's the essential service or its counterpart, the non-essential service. And and our slant is always going to have a rehab flair to it as I'm a PT and you're an OT, but it seemed that rehab kind of slipped over onto the non-essential side um, in some of that crisis phase and not quite sure where we get back into this. So can you give us your thoughts on what does this whole thing being an essential service actually mean from your perspective? It's an interesting question, and it certainly morphed uh, throughout the course of the summer as our challenges went from uh, challenges dealing with PDGM and the uh, drop in utilization, rather abrupt drop in utilization of some therapy services after the first of the year to an even further drop once the pandemic uh, brought our whole country to a a screeching halt. But I find it interesting when um, people are thinking in terms of essential services and it, it begs the question, essential to what? I was 
actually looking at some information from the CDC that developed a framework for uh, during the uh, public health emergency to help prioritize in terms of what the healthcare services were being provided and to whom and, and when and, and some alternatives. And I found that to be an interesting document and it gave some guidelines that I think that agencies could probably not necessarily adopt those specific guidelines because they're a little too broad, but they could develop their own. When we got past that piece of the pandemic where they were not doing any elective surgeries or any kind of elective procedures, et cetera, it loosened things up a little bit and I think it it changed to some degree the essential service definition from the only people that could be in anywhere is somebody doing COVID testing or somebody providing emergency services, et cetera. When you can identify essentially what the level of risk is or is not to an individual patient, therein lies your opportunity to say, here are services that we need to go ahead and be providing because COVID is not the only thing that these patients are dealing with. So then we turn to how do how are we doing it as smartly as we can? And these are some of the things that you and I talked about when we were kind of coming up with this outline is to say, you know, what can we do to minimize the risk to our patients, minimize the risk to ourselves, and still keep number one from the patient's perspective, they want to get better with whatever condition they have, but they also don't want to get COVID-19, nor does the clinician. So I think it's all about what can we be doing from an interdisciplinary perspective? What can we do to really truly optimize what it looks like to help each other out and have a real concerted effort to get done what needs to get done, what has to get done in the home, what doesn't have to get done in the home, and work as a team to identify what that is. I also found it a little interesting, one of the waivers that they provided for the PHE relief this summer was to allow occupational therapists to assist with the um, initial and or comprehensive assessments when it would free up nursing or other services to be doing something that is more medically um, essential. And I have found very few agencies that took really good advantage of that, but it's still in place. And I think that's another thing that people can be considering. All of that to say, we've got lots of opportunities. We have lots of things to talk about. I think we have lots of clever ways to be innovative in knowing how do we get these services uh, across to our patients and get meaningful outcomes during this and keep people as safe as we can. I know that other healthcare settings are also doing the same thing. They're trying to think through how to be innovative, how to get services um, delivered to patients. And one of the settings that we've seen a lot of activity in the news about is uh, skilled nursing facilities. And I know that there's been talk about an SNF exodus. Do you have any insights on that? 
I have some insights and I have some things that probably some people might take as inflammatory. Um, but I think that the reality is we, we have always advocated in our setting that people can and should come home when appropriate and can safely be managed at home well before the COVID thing happened. And then when we started seeing those very unpleasant and sad stories about skilled nursing facilities, it became even more of a push to not have people be in those, um, not just from, you know, kind of our perspective of bring them home, but also from the perspective of families and patients saying, I'm not letting, I'm not putting someone in there. Uh, um, I'm not going to do this. They, they, we need to find a better way. Um, so I think home health was positioned well to be the answer for, for a lot of this, but I don't think we've seen the full impact yet of this movement away from facility-based care to the home. And so we have to be looking at this not just as a volume opportunity, um, but how are we going to manage patient acuity? So we're already in a situation, as Karen touched on, you touched on about the issue of, you know, how are we managing with, you know, the challenges of getting in the home and mitigating risk and all that other stuff. But now we're talking about patients that could be coming to us with greater needs. Um, and how are we going to be prepared to manage that? How are we going to address issues, especially with some of the initiatives around bringing these patients home, of having the need for a higher intensity, a greater frequency um, than we've ever seen ourselves, particularly doing on the rehab side, when we talk about the opportunity based on patient need to be seeing some of these folks twice a day? Or how do we manage that issue and say, this is not, this can't necessarily just be keep doing what we've always done, but how are we prepared to be able to take on those kinds of patients? And how are we doing that collaboratively? I think that, you know, there's, there's a, you know, there's many myths, but one of the ones that sticks out in my head based on some recent experiences within my own family is the idea that you, the, the rationale for going to the skilled nursing facility is you'll get rehabilitated you'll get more therapy. And if I have, you know, if I, this person goes home, they'll get very little therapy. And, and I think it was a wake up call, especially as the family member slash therapist to say, well, where does that keep coming from? This idea that in home health, we only see people twice a week from a rehab perspective. And I can see if, if that's the perception, the idea of going from twice a day therapy in, in a skilled nursing facility to twice a week seems like a huge drop. So part of what we want to touch on in this series is how, how do we look at utilization from all services with respect to deciding the use of telehealth or different technologies or how are we going to manage, you know, as each individual discipline makes that visit, how are we collectively advancing a care plan? So some of those elements sound like, oh, yeah, okay, care planning, yeah, I've, I've been to sessions about that, and I've been to sessions about, yeah, we're not saying folks don't know a lot of things. You guys are experts. You're out there day in, day out managing patients in a very difficult situation. But I think we have to be thinking about how are we evolving? How are we meeting this challenge? How are we preparing ourselves in home health to be proactive as opposed to reactive? We're very good at being reactive. Something changes, we adjust it, whether it's payment, whether it's something with the OASIS, whether it's, you know, this new strategy or this. We adapt on the back end. We'd like to get us to think a little bit more about how do we prepare ourselves in advance? How do we get ahead of the curve? And how do we stop kind of feeling like the end of the post-acute food chain, essentially, that all these other things have happened, and I guess there's home care, 
when the pandemics made it very clear that people want to be home. And for some of these people, they're going to need official skilled help to be able to do that, to be able to reach that level of stability, to figure out how that home should be set up for them to be able to stay there long term, because it's definitely a push away from facility-based care. So, Karen, can you kind of give our folks just the, the big overview pieces of the next parts in this series? Sure. As soon as I quit giggling about being in the post-acute food chain. Yeah, it feels like that though, some days. I mean, you sit, you sit in a room and you're kind of like, you notice, you know, COVID made everybody want to go home and stay home, uh, even right. without Imagine some that. sort of medical condition. So home care should be up, up at the top and not the, you know, oh, you get the leftovers, people. Right. So, so how do we do that? And we have indeed kind of um, looked at some hits that we want to make on uh, addressing some of these issues that we've just posed to you as kind of a tee up. And so we want to provide um, several different podcasts in bite-sized pieces because we know nobody has the time to sit and go through a whole 90-minute webinar. And hopefully this is something that you might even be able to listen to in between visits, depending on what your drive time is. But um, let's, let's actually address some of the things that we brought up in this particular session, such as how do you decide when you make an in-person visit versus a virtual visit? Uh, the beauty of just the other day we had um, notification that we've got yet another bill uh, in that's been proposed to try to get telehealth a reimbursed service at least during the public health emergency that would be lovely and what does that look like because let's face it technology has provided us many more opportunities to have some kind of a telehealth, small t, not capital T, opportunities with patients to have some visual or some audio touch point that is not in the home. So how do you make the decision when to do that versus not? And what does it look like? I mean, can we tap into the technology that people already have in their home? What are the smart home technology pieces that can be advantageous? as well as going back to the idea of now more than ever, we have got to be an interdisciplinary team and rely on each other to keep the ball going forward, keep, keep the patient moving toward the primary goal of staying healthy and the secondary goal of getting better other uh, underlying condition they might have, et cetera. And what does that look like in an interdisciplinary manner at this point, even more so than it has up to this point in time? So I think we've got uh, some interviewees lined up on some of these topics that are going to shed some light on it. In addition to, uh, you can always count on Cindy and I sharing our opinions, right? So anything else you have to say, Cindy, before we wrap this one up? 
Um, actually, I, I don't have that much to add yet. I think we have more to discuss as, as we continue down this road with the podcast, and we welcome feedback from those of you listening to it. If you like this idea, if there's other topics you might want to explore, um, we welcome your thoughts on that. So with that, we'll be done with our part one today, and we thank you very much for your time, and we wish you a great rest of your week. Thank you for listening to Candid Conversations About Home Care, a podcast jointly produced by NAC and HHFMA. For more information, visit our website at www.nahc.org.